Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. Welcome to UUCSW Reflections. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we reflect on this month's sermons and answer questions from the congregation. If you'd like to submit a question, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org or drop it in the suggestion box in the sanctuary when we can safely access the sanctuary. Be sure to say which sermon your question is about, and don't worry, we won't share the names or identifying information about question askers on this podcast. April's theme was liberation, and in this episode, we'll be discussing the sermons The Ambiguity of Prayer, Out of the Tomb, and The Next Right Thing, all of which can be found in this podcast feed. Hi, Laurel. Hi, Amanda. Good to be podcasting with you again. It is. It sounds like you have kind of a guest star in the background, maybe. <laughs> yeah, if, if anybody can hear Henry, he's not very happy about nap time. Henry being my dog, for those listeners who have not met me in person. <laughs> Honestly, I can't disagree with him more. Naps are my favorite quarantine pastimes, so... Speaking of which, we had a question from the congregation this yeah, week. Yeah, coming in hot from community hour. Do you want to share what it was? What day is it? Which is a really good question for quarantine life. So I would say it's after yesterday and before tomorrow, because we don't know what day people listen to the podcast on. So it's a that's a tough philosophical question to answer. The right day for you to listen to this. That's what day yes. it is. It's the right day for us to be here together. Okay, so the first sermon that we're talking about is the ambiguity of prayer. I personally don't think that I've ever prayed as a Unitarian Universalist, but I have to say saying something out into the universe that's too heavy to hold yourself, everyone can relate to that no matter what your relationship is to prayer. One thing that absolutely jumped out at me was your story about being very uncomfortable when people would force yes. prayer situations onto you. Yep. So you mentioned, for example, someone was trying to recite the Lord's Prayer over you or what have you. What was that story again? Well, that just happened all the time in grad school because Yale Divinity School is a Christian seminary. And so reciting the Lord's Prayer is really normal to everybody else. But to me was this like really surprising thing when suddenly everybody would like recite it together during the morning. There was morning chapel every day, which in retrospect was a really lovely thing to have. But adjusting to it at first as a UU was this like wild culture shock. Then it took me a while to have the theological agility to translate it in a way that I was okay with it because it was it was really surprising and confusing at first because I like you grew up you you where there was no praying we didn't pray together and my the congregation that I grew up in certainly never talked about prayer. So it was a thing that I thought belonged to Christianity in a way which it doesn't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or at least not exclusively. Because the reasons that you pray are universal, even if the words and rituals are not. Right, right. You mentioned it's definitely culture shock, which totally makes sense. Yeah. Another element of it that you mentioned, too, was that it's a thing of, and I'm going to quote you to yourself, tenderness and power. Yeah. Which is a combination that is the recipe for some of the most intense and validating human experiences. Right. And for the most intense boundary disrespect. Right. And trauma. Yes. So that's why 
consent culture in areas of all things, especially those that have tenderness and power, is something that is so important when you're talking about behaving and interacting with people in an emotionally safe and respectful way. Right. And for everybody who comes to the services on Sunday morning, you'll notice when we do the time of prayer and meditation, when I invite people to settle in and turn inwards, the way that I talk about it, it is always an option and a suggestion with the full agency in the congregation and each person to choose if they want to close their eyes, they can. And I'm very careful when I do that to not command people what to do with their bodies and what to do to make themselves feel quiet and calm because that's not for me to decide. And so I can give you options. But that's sort of one of the ways that it manifests is that I make sure when I do that to not tell people how to be because it has to be consensual. And so I think little things like that actually matter a lot. They're very important in your job because everything to do with religion, spirituality, self-reflection, thinking about what it means to be human, that is absolutely a situation of tremendous tenderness and power. Right, right. And even like pastoral care, I will never try and force somebody to talk to me because it's the same thing where it's only powerful if you come willingly. Right. It's only powerful in a good and healing and loving way if people come willingly. So I'm I'm even, I sort of err on the side of being a little bit hands off and waiting for people to tell me when they want to talk to me because I never want to cross that line. And especially because as you use, we have so many people who've come from traditions that did them harm or made them afraid of things like prayer. And so I think in, in my job, it's even more important to hold a good boundary of of recognizing other people's agency Mm -hmm. and letting them walk willingly into that place of tenderness and power. Yeah. And I think you're in a bit of a unique situation because of the power differential, which we've absolutely discussed on other Reflections episodes and you've discussed in your sermons. You're in a position of authority and power. I think it also applies even in situations where it's a more even balance of power. I personally went through a period where I worked on honesty and forthrightness and talking explicitly in text rather than subtext about things that were tender and powerful in my life and in my relationships. And during that process, I was thinking a lot about myself and my personal growth in there. And I ran into frustration when I would initiate these conversations that were about difficult subjects or boundaries or something sensitive that had to do with a relationship in my life. And I would get frustrated when the other person didn't engage with me right away on the same level. Right. And I think right. one thing that this sermon in particular reminded me of is I can bring that. I can offer it. Imposing it is, yeah. first of all, counterproductive. And second of all, unfair and potentially damaging to my relationships and yeah. to the feeling of safety that other people have in relationships with me. Right. There's always, it's always like a dance of showing up, but you can't force somebody else to show up. Right. Um, Which I think is part of the vulnerability of those conversations and opening up is the other person might not be ready to meet you in that place. And then we have to respect that because the real connection and healing can't happen unless everybody comes willingly. And feel safe when they get there. Exactly. And like they have made the decision to be there. Not someone else has dragged them there. Right. Right. There was no coercion. Yeah. There's no there's no coercing connection. That's not a thing that exists. I wonder if you have suggestions for techniques for how to offer that vulnerability and say, 
hey, I'm ready to go to this place. I would like Mm -hmm. to offer you, invite you to join me without pressuring you to do so. I think you just did it. Okay. Because it's an ask. Because because it's the it's the conversation before the conversation to say I'm I want to invite you to do this with me. Are you ready for that? Do you have that in you? When would be a good time? Yeah. Without getting into it, like I think there has to be a clear boundary in that invitation. You're not sort of underhandedly starting the conversation. Right. But that's a really powerful thing because then you, you're you giving the opportunity for the other person to show up willingly, which is what's required and is a hard thing to do. Yes. I'd love to move on now to talk about Out of the Tomb, which was your Easter sermon and the next right thing. A lot of the themes in these two sermons was dealing with the pain of our collective situation right now, but at the same time, holding hope for the opportunity that this has presented for potentially changing the way that we structure our society once we come out of this collectively. Before we started recording, you had mentioned the concept of redemptive suffering, and I would love if you could talk a little bit about that in terms of theology and also in the context of COVID-19. Yeah, so redemptive suffering, I put squarely in the category of bad theology that is really harmful. And so redemptive suffering is the, like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger idea. And bad things are God's way of making you better which is a really scary and dangerous kind of theology that is in some ways pretty normalized. And it's a way of dismissing people's grief and people's experience. And I think most dangerously, it's something that puts the locus of power to create good in violence. And I am never okay with the idea that violence is the thing that makes us good. And so I think it's really important in struggle to acknowledge that there are these hard things happening and there is the potential for us in our growing through them to find new ways of being and find new hope and new life. And that comes from us and it comes from us tapping into our well of strength and our inherent goodness and our sacredness and our capacity to be creative. It doesn't come from the violence. It doesn't come from the thing that did harm. And the good that comes comes from the, the love within us and our capacity to be a community together. But that the locus of power exists in us as people and not in the thing that has done violence and done harm. Yeah, I think that's such an important distinction. But it also makes sense to me why it's hard to make. It's very nuanced because it's hard to hold the contradiction that this painful thing created an opportunity for growth without attributing the growth to the bad thing that happened. You know, that is not straightforward. Yes. And change requires things falling apart to a certain degree. But that doesn't mean the sort of whatever the crisis was that created the falling apart is the thing that was the good thing. Like we find the good in the ashes, but it wasn't the fire that was the good thing. And that's a fundamental tenet of healing from trauma is distinguishing between the impulse to undo something that's happened and the opportunity to grow creatively out of it. You can't undo something that has happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. You can't exercise it out of your being. Exorcise with an O. (laughs) Yeah. you You can't get it out of you. Right. Like you will be changed as a result of the situations that you're in, like your brain chemistry, your neural pathways, 
your habits, your relationships are affected by the things that happen in your life. You know, our body remembers, as we discussed last time, your body remembers, your soul remembers. And also in those changing times, you have an opportunity to take control of the direction of some of that change, even if the bad thing was not in your control. And you can have a richer life afterwards as a result. And that's still because of you. Right, right. And that's, again, the locus of power is in the person and and in sort of plumbing the depths of their own strength in the face of something that's done them harm. The power does not come from the violence. Right. And I that's that's a really important thing because you never want um, a lot of people will say after bad things happen that they wouldn't once you get to a place of some amount of healing with it you it's not that you would wish it had never happened because then you would be such a different person now um, but the thing itself is not a thing that you would ever wish for or wish for other people right. but I think it's true that you can never. Trauma is not a thing that you ever remove in the same way that grief isn't and death isn't. And all these things that happen that affect us deeply, it's not that we get over them, it's that we learn to live fully with them. Yeah. Which I think is part of that Easter story of holding the grief and life together. And I think, too, we had talked about this before, that the trying to remove trauma is a disservice to the person who survived, which is you. And that's not a thing that we want to do. Right. So on a related note, you mentioned that some of the reactions to your Next Right Thing sermon did have a lot of hope in them. So I'm I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit more to the reaction to that. Yeah. So that was the, the seventh sermon I had written in a row, which is not normal, which is, <laughs> which is sort of a COVID Zoom minister life. And so writing it, I was sort of like, I I have no, like, who knows? I'm just like trying to get water out of a stone right here. And like, I really hope that some people find something in whatever I happen to be writing. I've never written a sermon about a Disney movie either. <laughs> um, and and I, there was part of me that was like, I'm talking about like the Israelites and Frozen and my nephew. Like, if I, <laughs> are we off the deep end right now or is this great? And so I was really pleasantly surprised that people, an unusual number of people responded in a really positive way to that whole service. Because I think we really are in this place of everything feels so big. And it's important to remember that we we don't have to do everything right now. And I think in the, in the holding the struggle of the fact that life is so strange right now and honoring it honestly then we can we can find the hope in the place of this is an opportunity to change and to do things differently and we don't actually want to go back to what was normal before right and we've come to a place where we're deep enough in to this strange reality right now that I think we've we've stopped clinging so tightly to the hope that everything will be the same because we know that we're so changed at this point yeah and so, the, so it was. It was sweet getting those kinds of responses and heartening to me. And I, I had told you before we started this that a friend that that Sunday morning sent me an article from the New York Times, which was really validating for me and what I do because it was talking about how Americans tend to want to find happiness and what we actually need in times of struggle and in times of collective trauma is meaning making. That's the thing that actually makes us resilient and helps us 
to thrive and to change and to grow out of the hard times. The term that they used for this sort of meaning making in the place of acknowledging what's hard is tragic optimism, which sort of had a funny ring to it. But I was like, okay, I think I can see why my work as a minister right now both seems so elusive and strange because I'm not physically in people's presence the way that I normally am. And yet it also feels like there's something that people really need right now, which is fundamentally the thing that we as ministers are asked to do, which is help people make meaning and to make space for the, the whole magnitude of human experience. Well, I think the next right thing for us to do is say goodbye for this month. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Until next time. Thanks so much for talking to me and hang in there, everybody. And we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. Enjoy whatever day it is today that you're on. It might be Thursday. That's our tip. (laughs) It might be Thursday. (laughs) Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org or visit us in person. All are welcome.